I love Fridays. Me too. They're my favorite. Even when it's raining and 30. I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. Raining in 35 is the worst. The worst. That's what we have right now. I'd rather it be snowing. Fridays, Fridays are so good. They are. Thursday can be called Friday Junior. <laughs> it is Friday Junior. <laughs> and sometimes Monday can be Sunday Senior. I don't know. Is that a stretch? Yeah, that's a stretch. Sorry. Well, welcome back to the Growing Band Director Podcast. This is episode number 147. Here with Westbrook Middle School Band Director, fantastic teacher, Crystal Smith. How's it going? It's going well. Yeah. I can't believe it's been 147 episodes. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you. That's awesome. Um, we have one more this coming Thursday of Festival Rep of the grade one and two stuff. So like, I'm going to put you on the spot. We didn't plan this part at all. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Middle school composers that like are able to make the band sound good um, using, you know, less to work with. Well, I just ranted and raved about Tyler Grant um, this week in the group because I did a piece at, and the kids were sight reading it. And I was just blown away by what he was doing with certain groups of instruments at certain times to make them sound so good. Now, obviously the prerequisite to all of that is great tone. So you can't make any composer's music sound good without great tone. And I had spent so much time with these kids over the last three years, getting them to sound good so that when they have these moments, it actually is legitimately good. Um, so in inappropriate range and appropriate instrument groupings in rhythms that are very sight readable, it was a grade one ballad at twilight if you didn't see my post you guys all need to buy it apparently it's 10 years old so i am way late to the party so you've probably all done it <laughs> but i found it and i am so thrilled to do it um but yeah i so tyler grant for sure um i do a lot of michael sweeney um his writing is incredible um yeah i mean those are the two off the top of my head right now i do a lot of brian balmages um he has a lot of great 0.5 grade one, one and a half that have worked really well for my groups. Um, I have recently done a little bit more Carol Britton Chambers because she has some really dynamite one and a half and grade two um, that I love. But for my younger kids, I, I'd say a lot of the music that I do with like sixth grade and early seventh grade are probably the first two, Tyler Grant and Michael Sweeney. And you're like a Rob Grice too. Yep. I've done, I haven't done a lot of Rob Grice recently, but, um, there was a period of time where I feel like I only programmed Rob Grice. Yeah. <laughs> so I have a lot of Rob Grice in my library. And isn't it, is it Matt Conaway, um, Saul Invictus? Yep. That's probably like a one and a half or a two. I think it's a two. Yeah. You turned me on to that piece. Cause we both done the piece. Yep. I did that with an honor band too. And it, it was a great opener. It was awesome. So you were talking about tone. Yep. You know, like, first of all, pardon me. Um, <laughs> that was nice. I don't know what that was. Um, it's really awesome being able to teach students who've had four years with a band director who teaches them tone. So yep. thank you. You're welcome. Um, so like that insistence on tone, right? I mean, you said we can't talk about tone today because it's it too, would so, it would take a whole episode, but we are not the keeper of all things tone, but yeah. tone has to be first. Yeah. What is it you say about like band directors who have bands with bad tone? Yeah. I just don't know how, how you get through a rehearsal. <laughs> Honestly. I mean, it, there, there comes a point where you obviously have to have some tolerance for young kids and the fact that they're going to have moments where they sound bad before they sound good. I think that's going to happen. You can't like just magically turn on a switch and all of a sudden every note they play is going to sound great. But you have to have a plan every day for how you're going to go from the experimental stage, which undoubtedly is going to have a lot of flaws, to what is the outcome on the other side. So for instance, day one, it's fifth grade band. They don't even know how to put their instruments together. The first thing we do is teach them how to make a sound on their mouthpiece, because if they don't make a sound on their mouthpiece, well it doesn't matter what happens with the rest of the instrument. So that's the approach to, okay, it's going to be a fifth grade sound for a while. We know that that is not something that is going to magically be beautiful on day one, but every day since the beginning of fifth grade band, 
every class, we do mouthpiece exercises. And sometimes they're long tones. Sometimes they're rhythm drills. They're as annoying as heck, but you know, I'm at the point with my flute players right now, I'm responsible for the flute class that we're working with their head joints and they're doing all the tones on the head joint now, um, that they can do at this level. So what are all the tones I would do their open tone on their mouthpiece. So they're not covering the end. Um, I always model for them. So they are always copying me. And then I have them cover their end with their hand and they play what I call the low tone because it sounds lower. And then they keep their hand covered on the end and then they play the higher tone. Now for where my students are at, that is plenty because there are some kids that are really struggling still to be able to reach the higher tone with their hand covering on the end. But we have exercises we do all the time and I show them diff different ways that they can blow the air. Um, some people have done like the hand in front of the face and like direct the airstream down to your, the bottom of your palm towards the middle, up towards your fingertips. So you can change where that air is. And usually that's enough to help kids get a start. Um, mirrors help so that they can see what's going on with their face. But I think probably in the next month, all of them will be able to do all of them, which is great. So I've heard you say a lot of times that air, that placement of air is what gets, is what you need to do for flute. So like, what is the wrong way to teach higher on flute? Blue harder. Right. <laughs> that's going to create a sharp flute sound. That's gross. Um, you do have to have a lot of air. There's no doubt about that. If their air is slow, you have to fix that first, but just saying blow harder is usually not going to be super effective. There also is a device. Uh, we don't use them, but I know no, people yeah. who use them. It's called the Numo pro. Yeah. How do you, how do you spell that? Is it PN? Um, yep. P N E U M O or something but, like that. Yeah. I've seen, um, I know they use it at Cape Elizabeth, which is a neighboring school. Um, it's a Carolyn Ness bomb company that that does that people can probably buy them mm -hmm. and it's like a bunch of little fans right and you blow mm -hmm. different color fans and it helps you move the air up and down yep yep definitely there's a lot of tools out there um we i i try to just figure out what's going to be the quickest most valuable lesson that they can even do when they're at home and i i definitely wouldn't send tools like that home but yep. some people swear by them so yeah. And so just the insistence, you just talked about flute, but the insistence on every single rehearsal you have with band or a section or whatever, you're always dealing with tone. Yeah. And if whether, you... whether or not it's like a tone lesson or yeah. you're always, you're not letting yeah. bad tone go. No. And, and if you heard my fifth grade band, you'd be like, that sounds like a fifth grade band. And I'm not denying that. Like it doesn't sound, it doesn't sound all, Oh, my kids sound like they've been playing for four years. No, that is wrong. That is not true. I am a very average teacher and I do average things. And I, don't have this crazy, um, advanced fifth grade band. I just always want the idea of good sound to be in their heads. I mean, I even say to my sixth graders when they're in, in a full band rehearsal, always play with your best sound. Cause most kids know that what they're playing is either sounding good to them or sounding bad and they can improve it just by that phrase. And I know you even say that at the high school, like you just, just play say, with your best sound. Yeah. And that fixes it. Yeah. Or at least gets it a lot better. Moves it in the, right the other thing you can do too is because we talk about playing in your trios. I don't know if you use yeah. that phrase or not, yeah. but like the person on your right or your left or front and back, you're in a trio or a quartet or whatever. And then the minute you say that, they're always thinking about the word we yeah. and how I sound with these other people. And it's amazing how much better the band sounds rather than just like, I'm thinking about myself, let's go. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the balance and blend is good. <laughs> with fifth graders too, you're dealing with a bunch of kids who they are thinking about themselves when they play, they are trying really hard to like hear themselves and hearing past themselves in any capacity is very challenging. So you're adding like one extra layer of their brain power to like, try to get them to play with a better sound, um, or blend. That's, that's just way, 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 way harder. It's like the last thing on their mind is, oh, there's like, flute players in front of me. Yep. I had no idea because I'm playing the saxophone and it's the loudest beginner instrument in the history of all beginner <laughs> instruments ever. And the older they get, the further away they can listen. Yeah. So if you, so like, I think Andy Boysen calls it like level one listening and then level two listening is like some people pass that. And then three might be like a, a separate row or something, yeah. but just thinking out more and more. Yep. Um, yeah. So just that, that focus on tone is huge. We've had a, um, you said a couple people have reached out one to me and a couple to you about the script that you do with your fifth grade band concert. Yeah. Um, you know, people listen to our fifth grade and they go, Oh my gosh, those kids sound so good. Right. Because you just don't let them sound bad. Yeah. You just teach them correctly. 
So can we, I know we don't have the script in front of us, but like, what is, what is your first concert look like with those beginners? Well, I don't have the luxury of seeing my students often. So I know there are plenty of programs around the country. I know some programs don't even start until sixth grade because when they get them in sixth grade, they might have them every single day. And so beginner progress is made quickly. Um, I don't have that luxury in Westbrook. We see our students twice a week for 45 minutes. I don't start them until November. And so with the way the concert cycle goes, um, the most logical thing for us to do since we started the students in November is to have a concert in February. Of course, we've got Christmas break in there. We have a Thanksgiving break in there. So trying to get the kids to a place where they know five notes, and then I'd say, okay, let's do a concert. If your students know five notes, here's how you do a concert. Um, I'm not into getting beginning band rep out in front of them. Um, I only have full band classes that meet right before the concert. So they'll meet together three times. So all of these limitations kind of came out this idea of an informants. So I wanted to be able to show their parents and their teachers and the administration. Informants. That's like a combination of information and performance. <laughs> information. Um, okay. but I just couldn't see doing a beginning band piece with them. Um, you know, we, they're just not at that point. They're not ready for that yet, but I wanted to do a concert. And, and especially because the parents who are there, assuming they don't have older kids, this is the first time they've seen, right. like, they have no idea what they're listening to. Right. No and idea. They obviously put up with a lot at home. And, <laughs> hearing and the way you do the concert, really people leave going, oh, I understand so much more now. Yeah. So we start with how the kids start at the beginning. We talk about some pre-band stuff that we do with the students, including um, treble clef lines and spaces. I do bass clef too, but just to keep the concert moving, I typically start so with treble clef. Just to clef. back up a quick second, you're, you conduct, yeah, and conduct. then you have Joey and Delaney, yeah. the other co-teachers. Yep. They're the ones reading from the microphone. Yeah, and they so. have sections too, so they know the kids really well. So it's pretty it's pretty seamless. You're conducting, but they're kind of the MCs. Yeah, and if you were going to do this, like grab another teacher friend or one of their classroom teachers or an administrator or somebody who's going to be at the concert and can just narrate with you for a dress rehearsal, it, it's really well. I mean, I, it goes really well. I narrate for the kids if I don't have one of my co-teachers with me, but, um, we start with the very beginning. I, I do like a silly posture thing where they have to demonstrate really bad posture and they love that. And then, <laughs> and then we go they're to like, like, laying, laying yeah, they're like laying on the chairs and their parents start laughing. And then we go through their mouthpiece sounds and, um, we'll we, laugh at that too. We tell people how ridiculous it is that they're playing on their mouthpieces. And we even add bubble tea straws for the trumpet players and the horn players and the trombone players and euphonium, as long as it's not large bore. Um, you put a bubble tea straw on the end just to give it a little more resistance. The kids love it. Um, and then we go through the book and we just talk about what they're learning. You know, this exercise teaches the students a new note, a whole note, a whole rest, explain those terms to the audience, um, go on to half notes, half rest, repeat sign, quarter notes, quarter rest. All of a sudden we, we know three notes. We're at hot cross buns. Um, each section is going to do a song on their own. They do a five note scale. So the, the audience hears each section separately yep. and then they hear them together. Yep. We do a five note scale. They play merrily. We roll along. Um, and everybody thinks it's like the greatest thing ever in unison. <laughs> it's because they're not ready to do anything else. Like there's a couple of duets in our book that I probably could divide the band in half. But the other thing is that I'm not really at the point where they sound great yet for duet purposes. Like we're working really hard in unison and I like to get that sound really secure trumpets on the right partials, trombones on the right partials before we get into duet land and they start hearing other things and they wonder if they're wrong or not. So that'll come next. Yeah. And that process is like 15 minutes. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's as long as playing like yeah. six, six beginning pieces or something. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's very entertaining and the, the parents understand what goes into those first 25 to 28 exercises in the book a lot more than if you were just like this piece correlates with exercise number 25 in your method book. Um, and if you do that, that's great. I just do not have the schedule or the capacity in my um, routine with the students to put, put off, pull off something like that. And they forgot what I was going to say, but it like they leave the concert feeling good because they know they sounded good for them and their parents loved it. Yeah. Right. I mean, if you get, if you put, okay. So like the parents know their kids so well, right. And then you put them on the stage and their parents know they just started. And all of a sudden they hear the band sounds really good. The parents think 
you're you're as a teacher like a miracle worker yeah right and, and like we, you walk on water yeah and we're just doing exercises from yeah. the method book <laughs> so so then for your next concert is when you would get a couple pieces together that are band repertoire yeah so we have um we have two pieces that we do for our last concert um I've done it for the last couple of years and I think the kids have now coined it as the, like, it's like a rite of passage for them. Mm -hmm. So, um, we do rock this band by Robert Sheldon and it is correlated in our book to exercise number 50. So there's like three lines of the piece that are in the book. I use sound innovations by the way, and I've gone through a few different method books, um, to try to figure out what is going to settle for my schedule and for the students that I have in front of me. I was writing a lot of supplemental exercises for some other method books and I settled on this and I really like how it progresses. I still supplement with this, to be honest with you, but, um, anyway, number 50 is rock this band and it's a three line song in the method book. There's also and a band piece called band that you can piece do too. Is a copy of those first three lines. And then it adds like a B section and the A section gets played around with a little bit compared to the method book, but they can play through a piece. I think the piece is 50 measures long as well. And it's like a huge accomplishment for them, for them to get that piece. Yep. And then we do uh Westbrook all city band is like our five through 12 band concert. You could probably do like an all district concert, same, same deal, but we all play God bless America at the end. And that song is very challenging for fifth graders. So that's, those are the two pieces that they'll do at the end of the year. And then when I start sixth grade with them, we'll be ready for a grade half and that's what we'll do. But the, um, so, but God bless America. We did a long time ago, like Phil rich did that arrangement. Oh yeah. But we just decided to make, we do it in E flat. And we decided to make all the fifth graders play the melody only. So melody A, only, a yeah. they're learning the melody and yep. B it's in unison. So yep. when they play with the six, seven, and eight and the high school kids, they hear all the other parts, but they're just playing yep. the melody. And it's highly modified too, because the students have only seen concert A flat in uh, the context of having the flat next to the note or, you know, for those playing A flat and B flat. Um, we haven't read in the key of concert E flat. So it's actually written in B flat with the accidentals as needed because that's how they see it in their method book. So the seventh and eighth graders and the sixth graders, actually, we have a cut time arrangement of it that works exactly well with the unison part for the fifth grade. So everybody kind of has their own version that suits them. And I mean, schedule and where you are like dictates things, but you just talked about being in the sixth grade. So for us, that's the second year. Yeah. And working on grade half, you yeah. know, how many pieces, how many people are like, well, in the second year, we're on a one, one and a half, I mean, maybe, maybe two by the end. Like I am not, but you, you, <laughs> you've always been very cautious about not moving ahead before they're ready. But at the same time, like, how do you find that balance? Cause you want to push them. Yep. So, I mean, that's just take, I think it just takes time to know how to push them, but don't, just don't overprogram. Yeah, I just really I would rather underprogram and give them an extra piece rather than overprogram them and have to chase notes because you're never going to be able to work on tone or any articulations or any dynamic changes. I mean dynamics are really hard for sixth graders, like really hard because we're talking about manipulating the embouchure, changing your air, um, that's like a lot. There's a lot that goes into kids being able to properly do a crescendo and a decrescendo and staccato and accent and all of those things matter. And they do end up in grade half pieces. So I spend my time on that and then also work on their rhythm reading and we do rhythm drills. We do a lot of like warm up exercises. We do stuff from the book every time we have class to try to forward them a little bit more into grade one land. And then every once in a while, there'll be just the right grade one that will work out on that first. When concert. you, we talk about repertoire, like in the 0.5 or one or whatever, sometimes one thing you point out a lot that I forget to look at is independence of parts. Yeah. We'll look at a piece and, and I'll say, is this a grade 0.5 or whatever? And I'll be looking at, you know, the rhythms that's asked and the notes that they're using, but I forget to go, oh, that's using four different parts. Yeah. That's right. Or six three versus two versus five yeah. versus so you know, that's just hard. Yeah. The more independent, the harder it is. Yeah. I was doing, a, um, I think this is a Carol Burton chambers piece. Actually it's, um, moon song and tribal dance. It's in D minor. Also really hard for my sixth graders. Oh man. Like, D minor. It's like, yeah, it's really challenging to get kids to pay attention to the key signature. 
and oh sorry um and you know they're that's just a hard thing for my students so we have to write in a lot of the um accidentals and they there's this one part where the trumpets are playing one part and then the bass line's playing another part and it's just the two of them together and i spent literally five minutes on four measures today because the trombones had a two beat rest and then they came in on a half note and the trumpets were playing and I'm like this shouldn't be hard but it's those little things that throw these students off when they're reading something at a grade one level it starts to get a little bit more independent and that's definitely something that we have to work through a lot so and it takes time yeah one thing that I do when you talk about marking things in some people might say, well, we already marked it in. So here's something I'll do. I'll say, okay, so there's a mezzo piano there. Say you have to mark it in. I'll tell the kids, start circling and continue to circle until I tell you to stop. Oh, So they just keep kidding. circling or, okay, now take that circle and now put a box around it yep. and continue to box it until, right? Or um, trace it and continue to trace it until yeah. I tell you to stop. I mean, that it's just silly ways to like reinforce that yeah. part. Yep, I need to do that a lot too. So we are coming up to festival season. Um, you are taking eighth grade yep. to festival. Yeah, I'm taking our two bands to festival. So we wanted to talk about what we're going to play for rep in that, um, and what our approach is and things like that. So, sure. so I know some people don't go to festivals, and obviously everybody has different situations. So, as a middle school teacher, you've had years where you haven't gone, and years where you have gone, and you can't take all all of your bands. You just kind of select what you want to take. Um, for me, just getting my kids out of the city limits, yeah. playing in front on a stage they've never been on, going to a room where somebody else talks to them for 20 minutes and yeah. works with them. It's just so valid. Just getting on the bus is like half of it. They see outside of their own town limits. And yeah, some of our kids are in the after-school group. So they're used to traveling every weekend and all that, but you know, it's just, it's just a really big deal. And especially when you come home and say you're, you get a medal or a rating and you know, you can always play that to be super positive whatever rating you got. And I think it's just good for good for the whole program. Yeah. I, um, I know every director can relate to this, but you know, so you have a guest in your class and they come in and they work with your band and You're they petrified, say, they're going to make you look bad. Or <laughs> but something. they, they say something to your students and you know, your band director said that to you before. Right. And the kids are like bug eyed. And you're thinking like, yeah, I did. I said that to you like five times, but somebody else is saying it. So it, it holds more meaning. This is the number one reason why I go to festival. I cannot wait for somebody else to tell my band something that I told them. It's validating. It actually says to your students that you are telling them what is expected of them everywhere, not just in your band room. So I, um, the second that I registered for our concert band festival, I went on the festival website and I looked for the adjudication forms because I share with my students what the judges are going to be writing on. So they're going to look at all the categories and we're going to talk about things like intonation and musicality and, um, articulation and all of the things that show up on this form that maybe the kids haven't realized, well, we're talking about this, but it's called this on this adjudication form. This is professional music language that's being and used. And they're going to judge you. So we have to do it. And, I like, mean, I'm sorry. To do we have to that's do just like, and then they can also self-evaluate too. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm getting into this with them now because we're getting to the point where we're running much larger sections of the piece. And when you do that, especially with my students, they tend to lose focus. It come, becomes autopilot. Like I've already done this five times. And so I know I can do it for the sixth time or the seventh time and they lose focus. But if you say to them, like, we're working on this part of the sheet right now, it really, really motivates them in that moment. Now, not every kid, you're going to have your kid in the back row. Sorry, back row people it just happens. I'm look, like thinking of this kid in the back row right now um, who is not motivated and he's going because he's part of this class, but for no other reason, he really could care less what score we get. Um, there's all these other kids around him that care that are going to kind of push him. Hold him accountable. And hold him accountable because they don't want that to be a score that they don't do well on either. You know, and when you have somebody in front of your band, they might even say something you haven't thought about and you're like, yeah. Wow. So that was professional development. Like you're not going to, yeah. who's going to come observe you? Who tells you how to teach right. better ever in your school? Right. Like if you have that, then you're super blessed and lucky. So, right. you know, this is like, it's either validation of yes, my band does sound really good. And these people who are also professionals agree with me 
And then also here's some things that I've learned as we go and finding time to maybe see a couple other bands while you're there yep. is something we're not good at, but it's something we should be doing. Yep. So they can, whether or not the other band is spectacular or not, kids love seeing bands from other towns are like, I didn't even think that band, that there was a band in that town, yep. but they got to hear them. Yep. Um, Super valuable. So what are you doing? You're bringing your eighth grade. What eighth are you doing for rep? Um, we are opening with American Declaration by Randall Standridge. This is a funny story. I actually did that piece. Well, I rehearsed that piece with them as seventh graders. And I did it for probably a month and then pulled it. <laughs> it was not right for them. I thought it was. I really studied the piece hard and it has a ton of percussion. And I had, I'm very, very fortunate to have a strong percussion section in that band. And for five more months for five more months. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Um, and it just, there, it wasn't right. There was just a, a couple sections that were, we were rehearsing, we were rehearsing really hard. We were pushing it and it just didn't work. So I pulled the piece and I swapped it with something else. It was much better. And I brought it out this year and the kids were like, oh, we're going to do this. And I was like, yeah, you're ready now. And it's going much better. There's a lot, a lot more things. It was literally just brain power and concepts that they knew, but couldn't quite apply. And that's why I had to pull. And the there's piece. quotes from all these Americana type, type of so things, creative. but they're, it might be like a two or three note quote and it's gone. Yeah. Yankee it's really cool. like two measures and then it disappears. Yeah. And there's some simple gifts I think in there too. It's like, it's really hidden, but I, I, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a piece that, um, that they are connecting really well with this year. So we're going to open with that. Um, Byzantine dances, Carol Burton chambers that that's your third tune, right? That, uh that'll be your your closer nope that won't be my closer okay um this is what i think i'm doing <laughs> american declaration byzantine dances that song plays itself the kids love it um not that it's easy but i know what you mean by that it just once it starts and they get it and they um start to learn the rhythms they can't stop playing it yeah. so it just keeps going um, and we're getting really into the drama of the middle section, which has been so cool. I have a fantastic alto saxophone player and she's going to play the solo. With have, that. They're snapping with their hands up yes. and their face. out. Yes. Yeah. Snapping with their hands up this way, face out. Um, and then the clapping too, clapping overhead. Um, the clapping is now the hardest part, by the way, why fra, kids, fra, fra. Oh, I, I like, I'm going to have the metronome on so painfully loud that I, they have to subdivide. They, they have to they get subdivide. Yeah. So, um, bonsai tree by Julie Giroux. Um, also great percussion section. I would not do this piece unless you have five kids who can play mallet parts. Um, because it's lovely if you do, um, not worth doing if you don't have kids who can like solidly get through those. And it's, parts, it's on so. a Japanese melody, isn't it? Yeah. It's really beautiful. Um, there's some 16th note things in the flute part and clarinet, um, that's a little bit exposed, but it's not, it's not unmanageable. It's, it's, not a, it's fast, a grade, so. it's a grade two and it's slow. Um, and then squirrel chase Carol Burton chambers again. Um, that is like a gallop and it's very fun. And we are working so hard on articulation on that piece because it's dotted eight sixteenth, and kids will slur the 16th into the next eighth note every single time. So we're doing every technique under the sun to get them to do that correctly. So I see. So you're doing four pieces, which is why yes. you, you did that. Yeah. I think I'm going to put Byzantine second. Yeah. Well, it's cool. Like you just said, squirrel chase, and you started talking about articulation right away. Isn't that cool that you can say, okay, this is a piece I want to do, and this is what I want to use on it. Like maybe this piece might be for dynamics, or this might, like every piece is for tone, but you know, this piece might be for articulation. Yeah, that piece, absolutely. You can't do it if you're not like super crisp because there's play on um, where that 16th note lands. If you listen to it, you'll, you'll understand what I mean, but there's like an eighth note baseline part and then the dotted eight sixteenth in the melody. And so when those two things are happening at the same time, it's really interesting. But if you, if the kids slur from the 16th to the eighth, it's lost. Yeah. So yeah. Hyper-focused. Have that. you had them? What's the tempo of that piece? Uh, it can be up to like 152. So if they, if it's slow enough, you can even have them accent the 16th note. Yeah. Ta, 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 yeah. Ta, and it kind of makes it speak, but, yeah. but it has to be slow enough. But. Yeah. Um, we're not there yet. We're not at 152 yet. So at high school said so you started that music kind of after your winter stuff. So right. Beginning of this month, end of, end of December. Yeah. Pass it all out at once. Yeah. Um, 
because some things I wanted to do like right away and some things I needed to do, do some pre-teaching before I passed it out. So you're going to have basically three months yeah. to work on it. So at the high school level, as you know, but I'll tell people, we do like six weeks between concerts because I just found that my, I just didn't like having four months between pieces before concerts and kind of like feeling stale and like, I can't just work on hard stuff, you know? So this has worked really well for us. So we do a beginning of February concert and then we'll do another one at the end of March. Um, so that being said, our festival rep, we haven't even, I just yeah. copied it. We haven't passed yeah. it out yet. So um, I'll talk with our, about our freshman band mainly. They have a couple juniors in there, but it's mainly freshmen, a couple sophomores. They're a grade two and a half band, I would say right now. Um, so for this concert we're working on right now, we're doing Darklands March by Randall Stanridge. That has a lot of that D in its minor. That's a really cool march. Um, we're doing Hymn for the Fallen um, by John Williams, which is from Saving Private Ryan. And we're doing this thing where we actually are having our wind ensemble, who's going to be at the concert anyway. They're learning the choir part, which is optional, but they're singing uh, with the band playing. We just rehearsed on that today. And it's like a really cool effect. It's one of these, you can play so soft in that piece. And it's John Williams, but it's also like, you could play it for a festival ballad. I mean, it's great. It's just it's like movie music, but not like cheesy in any way. Um, and then their third piece is Black Forest Overture by Michael Sweeney, which is super cool. We just featured that in one of the episodes in the grade two. Um, cool percussion, very kind of contemporary polytonal, yep. like E flat major chord and F major chord at the same time and yep. things like that. So they're doing that. Um, and then I have to remember what they're doing next. So then we're going to pass the music out and they're going to have five rehearsal weeks to get ready for the next set of stuff. Yeah. So like, I would rather do more music a little bit easier. So we're not going to touch anything past a three. Like we're not going to touch three and a half at all yeah. because it's just, I don't know. I don't really want to shove a lot of notes down their throat. And I don't think they want that either. So in this program, they're going to start, and this might be a three and a half. I don't know with cenotaph, which the definition of cenotaph, which is C-E-N-O-T-A-P-H by Jack Stamp. Do you know what that means? No. Cenotaph is like, I don't have it ready, but it's like, it's like a still structure, like, like the Washington monument mm -hmm. is a, like a structure that is very, uh, that doesn't move. So I don't, but maybe an inanimate one. I don't know exactly, but it's, it's this, uh, very contemporary, um, uh, fanfare. And it's a three for sure, but it's like easier than it seems. I I think it is at least, I guess we'll see. So um, that's a really cool piece. Then we're going to do Brian Mage's Blue Ridge Reel, which oh, yeah. I played for you a long time ago, but yeah. we have a big and good clarinet section yep. and it features them a lot. It's like this um, hillbilly Appalachian kind of reel. Anderson conducted that as an honors band conductor yep. um, for like middle school honors band. Yep. Yeah. And it was very clarinet heavy. She's a clarinet player, yeah. I think. Yeah. And it's, um, and it's cut time basically. Yeah. So yeah. it works a lot on that. Yeah. Then this might be a stretch. We're going to do, I know they call it a grade two, but anything Copeland is not a grade two. <laughs> We're doing down a country lane, yeah. which people don't know was written for time magazine as a solo piano piece back. I think it was in the fifties where they com commissioned all these famous composers to write like be almost beginner piano piano pieces. So this piece is like F major and then F minor in the middle and F major after that. And it's super pretty. And uh, so that's going to be our ballad. And then our last piece is a six, eight marks that I think we're premiering um, the state of Maine March that Heather Hastings has, oh, yeah. has arranged and adapted for us. And it's going to be a great six, eight. So we're doing Copeland and Jack stamp and then a cut time piece and a six, eight piece. So for me, you know, like that's, that's the teaching stuff right there. We should talk about six, eight for a minute. Sure. <laughs> it's like, I remember in our first few years in Westbrook. So Kyle and I started in Westbrook in 2006. And I remember in our first couple of years in Westbrook, he would say to me, you know, we probably should do some more six, eight. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. We should do some more six, eight. All right. I'm going to go do some research on six, eight. And I was finding like all these marches. They're like grade three, grade four marches in six, eight. I'm like, okay, this isn't going to work. I got to find something easier. And I came across all you young sailors. We've talked about this piece before by Pierre Laplante. It was fantastic. Well, then I found out that Starfire Fanfare by Randall Standridge only uses, I think, four different types of rhythms in six, eight. So you can teach a sixth grade band how to play in six, eight. I'm doing that with my band this year. 
because I was like on a mission still, I feel like this has been a 15 year long mission of, I must find all of the six, eight pieces that I could possibly do with middle school band, because there really aren't that many. Yeah. It's that, um, what's the piece castle Bay, Gene mm-hmm. Milford has a fantastic six, eight section in it. And I want to say, um, one of the movements from little sweet for band that I did last year with your now freshmen when they were in eighth grade, um, might've also had some easy six, eight stuff in it too. But that is, that's a challenge to try to get kids, you know, other than reading the few lines in their method book that has six, yep. eight to try to get them to be, you got to do focus six, eight work. Yeah, like, for sure. like the rhythm pack. I have a rhythm packet of like eight pages of yep. six, eight now. Same. And here's my biggest thing. I don't know if you remember me saying this or not. I don't know if you've done it at all, but like nursery rhymes, nursery rhymes, right? We have a page written yep. out a two pages front and back of just nursery rhymes in unison. Yep. And if anybody wants them, just send me a message and I'll give them to you. Yep. And they're super simple, but it's like Humpty Dumpty, row your boat. Yep. Uh, I don't remember all of them yep. now, but there's all these tunes. That- all I can think of is I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. <laughs> I put that in there too. It's a grade two March and it's beautiful. Um, it's but like doing that nursery the kids know do de do da do da de do do de do de do like they know that because they sang it when they were little and their first experience with playing six eight should not be in your high school band right it just shouldn't because right. that is you're going to be teaching them dotted quarter notes dotted half notes triplet rhythms everywhere rest like that's like oh my gosh it's like they're literally reading six, eight is language. not hard it's, it's not, not, but hard. they need to be exposed to it when it's a little bit more accessible to them and not when they have to learn everything. So for every, once. anybody who's a parent, think of a time <laughs> when your kid was just playing with a toy and they're making up a little song, right? It's almost always in six, eight, like six, eight is in the, in them. You just have to, you know, and then once you can take the, 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 um, the, 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 the melodies they learn and then put them into the, into rhythms. And it's super easy, especially because there's only so many rhythms and especially in fast six, eight, um, we did a competition. I said, okay, kids, I want, this was, this was yesterday. I want you to, this is our freshman band. I want you to, um, um, just whisper count or say the rhythm for, um, row, row, row your boat. And I'm going to write it down on the board and I'm going to finish at the same time you do. They beat me by like a measurement, but they saw me like write it down and do it. Um, and then, so that was just an introductory to, to six, eight. So, yeah. yeah. And if people have other ways to see, teach six, eight, let me know. Cause we need to know. I used to go like the, I used to start with slow six, eight and do the slow six counting and then speed it up. It's harder. That and way. that was way harder. So I don't do that anymore. Um, oh, dream song Saucedo. Yeah. If you have a good piano player in your band and you want to feature them a little bit and also just, teach six, eight. Wow. What a great way to teach beginning six, eight and have your band sound so incredible. You do need to have a good piano player to do it, but and I've done it with high school. Like oh, you can it's, do it, it is so too. pretty. And yeah, you, any, I would say any level, probably like seventh grade and up it's very accessible. So, um, yeah. And cut times the same way. I mean, obviously different, but yeah. like they just need to be they have to be doing cut time. I mean, yep. it's not harder to go half note, half note, half note, half note. It just looks yep. different, right? So yep. you can obviously do the, in some pieces, if your kids need it, you can do the, we're going to start in four, four and speed it up. And you can also do the, this is cut time. Here are the rhythms. Let's just play. You're just translating it yeah. to a different meaning, which is kind and, of what would I do now in six, eight. But... And I guess if you don't know which one to do, like just try one. And mm-hmm. if it's going really hard, just try the other way. Yep. And, and do stuff in unison. Yep. Do absolutely do stuff in unison. We do our parade tunes in um, cut time at the middle school because I want them to have that experience um, at least once a year, no matter what. There's just not always cut time repertoire in what I pick for them. That's definitely not one of my focuses. Unison band is amazing um, for every level. Unison, unison band. Unison. Yep. Um, so getting into uh, our win ensemble group, which is our top group right now. And we, we're not going to anything past grade four. Like we're, I mean, there was years past where we'd, we'd live in the five range. I don't think we've ever done a six, but we've done fives a lot. And right now, again, we're just doing more, more rep for them. So again, for the concert that they've only had five weeks to prepare, they are doing um, the big cage March by Carl King, which is a circus gallop. Yeah. It's like 200 beats a minute That's or great. whatever. If you have a good low section, it comes together pretty well. Um, and then this piece called Waltz, and I cannot even, I've never pronounced this guy's name. I'm not even going to try. Okay. He's a Finnish composer and it's called, well, I, I don't even know. You spell it? I, I, I'd have to look it up. Oh. Like, I don't even know. I don't, I don't even know. Hold on. I'll look Waltz. it up. Okay. So first name is Ilari, I-L-A-R-I. 
last name. How do you think you pronounce that? I think it's H Y L K I L A. Let's go Hilkyla. But if you put in, yeah, so it's on Pepper too. His music is very cinematic. It's very like kind of movie sounding. How did you find it? I don't know. Just, just listening to music, doing some time on Pepper. I, and- I, I just, I was hurt. I'm like, and it's so in it. To be honest, on our read through, the kid sounded great. But like, but how did you find it? I, I want to know. He's got pieces out there. I don't remember how I found it. Because you went on Pepper and you were looking at. I Cox think I might have seen his name on something and kind of go, oh, I wonder what he has for music. So did you type in his name in the search bar? Probably. I I don't I don't remember. <laughs> no, it is like I don't remember how I came across it, but I I. Okay. I think I might've heard of one of his pieces and says, I, we can't play that. Oh. I wonder, but I like what it sounds like. Okay. I wonder if there's anything else. And I came across this. Okay. Um, so it has a couple little funky rhythms, but it's a super gorgeous waltz. It's like this Viennese waltz is what it sounds like. And the kids just love it. Cause they sound good. It's just pretty. Yeah. And you're doing expression from the very, but you don't have to talk about how great it's to play music. You don't have to talk about a rhythm. Yeah. That's why I was flipping out about it at twilight. Yeah. That It's literally why, because you just don't as middle school teachers, I think we're always so hyper-focused on all the things that we want to do to help our students improve. And it's really hard for me sometimes just to stop and sit back and realize I can actually make music with these kids mm-hmm. for a minute. I forget that. Yeah. And it happened in that moment. And I didn't, I wasn't the only one in the room that felt it, which was, you know what I'll say unusual. sometimes if they're coming in the room and I'll say something like, I can't wait for the music we're going to play today. Now they might be bonkers right now, <laughs> but I just, I'll promote this. Like I, we're going to make such great music. This is going to be amazing. And it's like, it's so much better either, either that's because of my mindset or yeah. because they actually go, Oh, we can make great music. The, co- the cool part about this moment that I had is that it totally took me by surprise. I wasn't planning on it. Yeah. I hadn't thought about it. I was not ready for it. I, was like, we're going to sight read. And I and next week they're going to be rats. Yeah. Next yeah. week, it's probably going to be a disaster. I'm going to be very upset, but <laughs> it was a moment. So we're doing big cage and then that waltz. And then we're doing Solas Ane by Samuel Hazel, which is gorgeous oh, Gaelic music. So and if you have a good percussion section and you're looking for a ballad in the middle of that, there's this jig and uh, it's super fun. Is there a flute solo at the beginning of that too? Piccolo. Piccolo. We'll use piccolo and then bass clarinet and oboe but it's it's cued and flute and then um so we didn't have we couldn't cover the oboe part and i was trying to figure out how to make all this work vibes oh pretty fairly loud and it like especially with the pedal down because the way hazel writes like it kind of chords go together and anyway it's worked for us um and then we're ending with um michelle fernandez's new piece that won the cbdna thing um of endless miles and empty empty rafts which was played at midwest um with authentic latin percussion and um it's been great that's a, a great piece people should check that out too i love michelle check out all her stuff so we're we're doing that but again none of that is for festival that's just for what we're doing in february 6th and then i've gotten to a point even with our younger kids they're gonna get their new music for the next concert a week before this concert yeah so that as they're kind of finalizing the details they've gotten their next level stuff to like oh here's stuff i have to dig into that i have no idea how to play and then then i can give them the expectation when we sight read this in a week or 10 days, I'm expecting that you have, you have worked on this to practice. Yeah. Cause sometimes they get to the end. They're like, what do I practice? I can play this music now. Yeah. So it's not all of them. Well, but yeah, that's, that's what I tell myself. Might as well give them um, a head start. And then, so the wind ensemble, their four pieces for festival, at least this is my plan right now. They're going to start with American salute, not the actual Morton Gould. Cause <laughs> we can't play that right now. It's really hard. <laughs> um, but the Douglas Wagner arrangement is fantastic. I don't even know if you even heard it, but it's yeah. so good um we're doing that why can i not remember our second piece um i just copied it today um i'm like drawing a blank i'm gonna have to go out of order all right um second piece third piece um i'm like not even thinking right now what's the (laughs) not your program (laughs) so the final piece this is really i never forget pieces the final piece is illumination by david maslanka and that's an amazing, I remember what we're doing. Okay. Okay. That, that's an amazing piece of music that we're going to put last because our good friend, Andy Boysen always says, put last what can't be followed by anything else. And that piece could be an opener or whatever, but like the end is so cool that that just has to be the last thing that we nice. play. So I'll, I'll back up. Um, after American Salute, we're going to play um, on a hymn song of Philip Bliss. Oh, Try making okay. a band sound good in D flat. It's not all about the notes and rhythms. It's about like the sonority of yeah. D flat. You know what's an amazing band key? 
D. Yeah. D sounds amazing. D flat sounds like hot garbage. So, but on a hymn, on a hymn song of Philip Bliss is obviously a simple tune, but to get, if you get that sounding amazing, like I'm almost getting chills, just like talking about getting it sounding amazing. So are you having to like do chorales in D flat? And I don't know. If, we haven't even started it yet. Oh, well, what have you done before? You've done the piece before. Yeah. Yeah. We'll do a lot. We'll do D flat work, but okay. it's there. It's not about the key signature. Yeah. Right. It's about how dead of a sound it is. Yeah. It's just like, imagine a D flat above the staff on flute and an yeah. E flat second valve on trumpet. Yeah. I mean, it's awful. Yeah. It's like two of the worst notes on the instruments. Yeah. You got to like live on a B flat on saxophone. There must and, be a reason why he wrote it in that key. I don't know. You're probably right. Um, but up a half step, it would sound really cool. Um, and then, so the third piece we're going to play is an older piece from the nineties called crystals by Thomas Duffy, which is aleatoric and it's a tone poem. There's tons of cool percussion and it's totally wild. So nice. that's, that's a really cool piece. So that's what we're going to do. Um, I also like going to festival with some stuff that maybe nobody else has heard or has played just to kind of promote some other stuff. Sometimes it's new music, but like how much Maslanka gets played? I Not mean, in for places that have really amazing band programs, they probably play a lot. But for like in our corner of the of the country, there's not a lot that gets that gets yeah. played. Let alone like nobody's played crystals. Yeah. You know, like you need a lion's roar. Yeah. Literally sounds sounds like a roar. Like it's <laughs> you have to put a hole in the head of a tom and then you you pull up a rope through it and it makes it sound like Oh my gosh. Yeah, you have to do a water gong where you like play the gong and then you play it as you dip it in a vat of water. And then, but that's I mean, it's really fun to bring on stage. Yeah, I, we have to work on that. Yeah. So that's awesome. But I always think about the vision and then we kind of go from yeah. there. So you know, and then that's four pieces. And if we have to do only three, like there's some flexibility in that, or say we, we live in the Northeast, say there's 15 snow days. Yeah. Like we just prepared a concert. Yeah. Like we'll already have four pieces ready. We could do what we're doing right now. Yep. It's true. So I just think it's good for our kids. Agreed. So festivals. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't really talked about jazz a lot. Yeah. That was the last thing on our list. I think we should transition. Yeah. To that so for sure. you were talking about how hard it is to teach rhythm section. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, honestly, I find as a teacher, I teach like 75% rhythm section and then I kind of live a devil in the horn line. I don't know where or how this happened to me, but it just did. So I'm talking to all of you teachers out there who never played in a jazz band in high school and probably not even in college because that's me. So I <laughs> never played in a jazz band in high school. Um, I never played in a jazz band in college. You played piano in like middle school jazz band. I played band or the baseline piano part yeah. <laughs> when I was in eighth grade. That was the last time that I played, and the only time that I played in a jazz band. And then I went to college and I got my like jazz teaching methods course, which was all of one semester. And <laughs> got, it's like got out how of to teach band in one semester. And then I got college and I went to a great college. Um, but like, you know, we just can't do it all in college. You end up having to figure out all this stuff on the fly. And, um, I got my first job and they didn't have a jazz band. And I was like, I need to do a jazz band. I, I feel obligated to make a jazz band happen for these children, but I don't know how to do one. <laughs> so I was you like, found people who knew and you yeah. learned from them. Yeah. So if you all over the country probably know his name, Terry White lives in our town and he's done podcasts with Kyle here before because we love him and he is the real deal. And he was a phone call and a visit away for me. He was the first person I thought of and I called him and I was like, help me. I don't know what I'm doing, but I have to do it. So he helped me pick out repertoire for my first concert. I have zero idea what I did. It was a long time ago. So but quick plug, if you go back rep um, episodes for the growing band director podcast between episodes, I think it's like in the one Oh five to one fifteen, we did six episodes of grade beginner jazz band up until grade three of great music. So if you're looking for stuff to do, go back, we talk about each piece and we put the score and sound and we listen to each piece. I just needed to be like two or three steps ahead of the kids somehow with these pieces. And I literally had to ask him, I don't know how to teach this. I don't know how to start a bass player. I don't know what to do with the drummer. I don't know what to do with the piano player. I can plunk these chords out, but I don't, I just don't know. I don't know how to teach jazz rhythms. I don't know what I'm looking at. Everything looks weird. The script yep. is odd. Like everything was so overwhelming and he walked me through all of it. Um, so you have to find your people. 
I know um, I'm offering Kyle services right now because he does it for me still to this day. Mm -hmm. If you're in this situation, write him an email. He will literally help you start. Um, and I know he would, he would do that in a heartbeat, but there's people around you who can help you with this. And I still people, this is not stopped. <laughs> I am still having to ask questions about repertoire. I'm still having to figure out if this program is going to work. I have conversations with people all the time about this. There was a piece written for my band this year because of a conversation I was having with Michelle Fernandez about missing parts of this repertoire for my students. And I couldn't find the right piece that would fit them because they're not. You were looking advanced. for like an Afro-Cuban piece at the grade one level, not two one. or three. Yeah. I needed a grade one. I wanted something that would be of the Latin jazz somewhere in there. I didn't know what it was going to be. And she was like, I think I should write you a mambo. And I was like, what? Because she, so she said, yes, when you start to write a grade, you try to write a grade one, by the time you finish, it's a grade three. Yeah. Right. She's like, yeah. you add all the stuff. So she was going to make it. Yep. And, and, um, it's, and it's being published. It's being published by Hal Leonard. Um, it is really, really, really exciting. And it's it actually called... on, it's on her website. If you go to Michelle Fernandez, I think it's, um, it's Michelle with one L. Um, it is called Rimo Cristal, which is spelled R I T M O. So like for us, like that's the word rhythm. We think of Ritmo. That's kind of like what it looks like. Cristal, which is my name, but spelled the way that you would, um, in Spanish. So it's C R I S T A L. And then in parentheses, it's me main mambo. Cause that was the original title of the yep. piece <laughs> yep. and the kids love it. And it's like, I swear it is the best like grade one and a half Latin jazz piece that you will ever have. She has it all written out. I would be completely lost if I got some Kunga part that I was going to have to teach the kids. And she actually made me a video of how to teach the Kunga part. Can you, yeah, you see like, here's a drum set part that says slashes Latin. Like, oh my gosh. Like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And but even drum rolls will say like Latin doesn't mean anything. It's yeah. like saying food or yeah. music. Like it yeah. doesn't, it doesn't tell you anything. She tells so. you like what part of the drum to hit on at what beat. And oh my gosh, she's, she's saved me from Latin jazz demise. <laughs> I'd have to get more of those. Oh man. She, she, it was, it's so good. And I'm so happy that it's being published because everybody should get it. Yeah. So, um, so while we're talking about it, what are you doing for, so, okay. So sometimes I'll come home and I'll, I've learned after a lot of years, I'll say, I'll just give you an idea and I'll just leave it. I used to like push the idea. Now I'll just leave it. Yeah. And I get, I'm happy because some once in a while you do the idea and it's like, Ooh, it's true. I contributed. Well, so. your ideas are usually better than my ideas. Well, but, <laughs> but they're not always like, so, um, this time this year was like October. And I said, you know what, when you start jazz band in November, you should play on the Christmas concert or the December yes. concert, whatever it is. And I said, you should play something the kids are going to love and they get to perform within five or six weeks. Yep. So like it gives you some momentum of like, oh, we played, we're playing like now. Yep. None of this, it's November. We haven't even hit Turkey Day and like you don't play till March. Yep. Like that, that's, yeah. there's no injury there. So yep. there's um, Nutcracker Swing by Mike Story, but the one I gave you was- what's Sleigh it Ride. Sleigh Ride by Mike Story. Yep. Again, these are grade one Alfred red cover. Yep. And they sound, they sounded amazing. I have, uh, also, I know I already mentioned this once, but you know, welcome to where I teach rehearsal time problems. I, my group comes before school half an hour, two days a week. And so I needed to be able to put something together that I could teach them legit, like what they needed to learn some basic concepts, but in the form of a piece that they were going to be doing at the first concert. So we had six weeks, yep. six weeks, 12 rehearsals three of them were snow days. <laughs> yeah. They sounded fantastic. And they were great. And to was... be honest, I had bought it already. Cause I was going to use it with our top jazz yeah. ensemble at the high school. Cause it was easy and it was yeah. a great thing to play for a holiday. Yeah. But then I knew it would be good for you. So then you did it like that level is just, it's just great. It's so good. And all of my charts are, are that level for the festival. So, um, I'm doing centerpiece. I, that might be a story arrangement too. Um, but it's not, um, the articulations aren't all in that one. So I have to have the students write them in. Um, that was, I want to go back real quick. Okay. Hold on. Okay. I don't want to forget this. So we are talking about, so YouTube came up in my mind because obviously we have this access. Um, when we, if you're looking for first of all, some people might say, I don't want to do holiday music when I'm starting jazz band. I want to do authentic. Like I, I totally understand that argument. 
but you can find holiday music if it serves that purpose that will help that you can do authentic swing jazz. You're not like doing a different style. You're just using it for something different right now. Um, so you can go into YouTube and just say, um, Christmas jazz band, right? And you'll see all the Hal Leonard and all, and they have like these Christmas lists if that's what you were looking for. Yep. And you'll see some fours and threes and twos and, but you'll see some of those red covers come in yep. there too. So I think that's how I came across a couple of those. And I think we featured them on one of those episodes too. Yeah. Um, okay. So fast forward to your band now. And I just wanted to say, if you're listening to your jazz band or a jazz band and the notes and the rhythms are right, but it doesn't sound the way you want, the answer is always articulation. Yeah. I go after it on day one with my jazz band. Um, I probably do the same more often now with my concert band than I used to, because I realize the impact that it has and kids develop habits so quickly. Um, but I'm always going after it. every rehearsal. I don't have a single, t- a single half hour that I spend with those yeah. kids. We don't talk about articulation. You have do you have dot, dot. you have do dot, you have dit. dit. And here's the biggest thing when you have running eighth notes, and there's lots of different ways to do this for pros, but when you have running eighth notes, or have them write in slurs from the offbeat off to, to the, the onbeat. Do yep. da woo da woo da yep. woo da woo. Yep. And then then the next step is they'll play da 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 da. They'll make those notes short and yep. it won't swing, or it'll yep. swing swing like a brick. And that's exactly what happened with my students. So they did the offbeat to the onbeat. We were good for a while, and then all of a sudden they came in the rehearsal, and that was da da da, and I'm like. Ah. So then you say, just keep it long. And then all of a sudden they, they're swinging, Yeah, you know, and then you can take a simple, but you go to somewhere, nobody's ever going to tell you that chart's too easy for you. Like if they're swinging that that's what it's all about. So to be able to play quickly as a group, like through the chart. So Mm -hmm. that was the thing with that piece is I want to get through this chart quickly. I want them to learn the the notes and the rhythms quickly because I need to teach a lot of improvisation on this. This is brand new to them. So we're going to spend tons of time doing this chart and getting as many kids to solo as possible. Okay. So quick rhythm section tutorial. Yeah. All right. Episode number 76 had a ton of this with Dave Dunscombe. And then somewhere in the fifties, I think it was like 49, 50, 51 with John Mastriani and Jeff Smith. We did a lot of this stuff too, but I'll give it to you now. So if you have a bass player, they need to play long quarter notes, not short. They have to be long. And if you can get them to accent on two and four and be long, you're halfway home already. Well, and new bass players, you can repeat the root as often as you want. Root, root. I had to do that. So my kid right now, my bass player is an eighth grader. When he was in sixth grade, he played in jazz band, brand new to the instrument. And I was like, okay, I'm doing B flat blues. He needs to know B flat, E flat, F. I can teach those three. This is how I approached my jazz band the very, very first year that I taught jazz. And I was scared of the bass because I had never held one or touched one in my life. Um, That got me through a lot. They could even start with whole notes. Yeah. Then half notes. And then but like Dean Neal says, some bass is better than no bass. Yes. You have to have a bass player. There's no, you can't start a jazz band. Go find your bass player. By the way, um, quick, like how to find the bass player tips. Cause I have done this many times. Um, percussionists, if you have a large percussion section and you've got a lot of kids who are very solid beat keepers and you know, only one of them is going to be playing the drum set, have the other one be the bass player. Yep. Um, I have had many drummers actually be the bass player in my band. Um, other options would be very solid woodwind players who, you know, probably won't be playing a saxophone. Maybe they do play a saxophone in concert band, but you've got 10 saxophones and you just really are dying for a bass player and there's no percussion option, a a type a flute player, type a flute players. We've had them play bass before too. Um, that, that works really well. Um, a double reed player. That's another one. Like Double read players, unless they're going to go find a saxophone, probably aren't going to be playing in your jazz band. You absolutely have to have a bass player. So there's, I've done all three of those yep. things to find the bass player. And I often will find the bass player first. That will be my yep. first go find. And so the bass player always needs to be pulling on the strings um, with a hard accent. Okay. So drums hit the right part of the symbol, like find where the good sound is on the ride symbol. Define it, good sound. It doesn't sound, that sounds... You- Ding, ding, okay. ding. Well, like I mean, yeah, like you have to go up to a symbol and like right, hit the thing. Right, but not on the bell, not on the edge. Use the tip of the stick. Don't use the shoulder, like all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. And hit through the symbol so you get some sound, like two inches below, so it bounces off. The hi hat needs to be loud on two and four with your left foot, and then you can even take the left hand and like cross it over on the rim and do two and four there. Even if they just go 
you know, quarter notes with that in the left side of their body, it's that with the baseline is going to swing. Honestly, if you have a brand new drummer, just do ride and hi-hat and just focus on that until that gets so easy for the kid that he can do it in his sleep or she can do it in their sleep. Um, and don't think about anything else. Like yep. just start with that. It's really going to get you a long way. And it did for me <laughs> the, the, <laughs> a long re- way. the reason I do the left hand too, is because it's the same side of the body and they usually can do it pretty easily. But when you hear a band go snare drum on two and four yeah. in about 12 minutes, you want to, I can't say that. Um, yeah, you want to poke your eyeball. Yeah, you want to, you want to do that. So, yeah. um, that's why I have them turn it over and put it on the rim and kind of like do the knock. Yeah. It's just as easy. And it, and that two and four is like the leash for the band. So when the band can hear the bass and the hi-hat, then it, the, the groove is there. But you could do that just on beat four too. If you want to yep. give the kid one more thing to think about. Um, hi-hat two and four, but that on four. The yep. snare. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they call that chopping wood. Um, I don't know why. On piano, they should play shell voicings, which are just take the chord and play the third, the seventh, and the ninth. Even if it's just the third and the seventh, you don't need a full triad. You don't need a full seventh chord. You just don't need it. And the Charleston rhythm works really well. Bop, 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 bop. You put those three things together, you're going to be swinging. Yep. Um, The guitar player should also play shell voicings. Go to YouTube. It's not hard. I can do it. You can do it on guitar too. Third and seventh or third, seventh, ninth. And they play quarter notes. But here's the big distinction. Like Freddie Green from the Count Basie band, they play short quarter notes. Chunk, chunk 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 with the bass player playing long quarter notes and the cymbal player playing quarter notes on the drum set. And that groove will take you all day long. Yep. And then find your B flat blues chart that you want to do, or you yeah. can just teach them C jam blues Amen. in B flat. <laughs> Sorry. Who does it in C? <laughs> Nobody, <laughs> but that's what I did. That's what I did to make it work. And then, um, you know, I'm still asking questions because I and listen to charts, out. listen to charts. And do that in your rehearsals too. I just on Monday, we're working on a Terry White tune called Pass My Bedtime. It's uh, a la Lil Darlin. Very hard for middle school students to understand that style and grasp it and be able to play it for that length of a piece because they all want to speed up. So literally played four measures of the recording, copy. Stop the recording, copy four measures. Brilliant. Yeah. Guess who taught me that? Who? You. Oh, really? (laughs) I don't remember doing it in segments. That's awesome. I mean, that's what they needed. They needed that. And you know, there's a key change in that piece too. So it was like, "Hmm, we're going to start right here on the key change, play these four measures. This is going to be different. Yeah. They picked up their wrong notes real quick. You can also have them play. If your speakers are loud enough, you can have them play with the recording. I also do that. Or like trumpets only play with the recording. Cause then they're like literally standing next to the pros and listen yeah. they still have to listen yeah. kids have to listen so i don't i used to be terrified of the like oh this is rote teaching i'm teaching the students by rote if i'm going to be playing a jazz piece for them and having them copy like baloney like you have to yeah you have to teach you them have to teach. teach you have to teach them to read you have to teach them to read but they have to copy the style or it's not going to be well if you're you're a flute player yeah if you're giving a flute lesson you play with the student yes you model for so like this. you play with Yes. It's the same thing for band. Yep. I feel like we don't do it very often in concert band land. And that's probably why I, I do. Didn't, I know I do too now, but I didn't used to, because I used to have it in my head that if I did that, I was actually not teaching the kids. Well, I've actually found sometimes, so this doesn't happen much. I don't overprogram, I promise, but sometimes I'll do with my combined bands. So like it's, some of it might be a little hard for some of our weaker, younger band players, or some section might be a little hard, but I know in the end, they're going to be okay. Cause they're not leading the band in any way. And I'll have them play sections with the recording for like weeks. Yeah. I know that sounds terrible, Yeah, but then guess what? They're going to be playing it with the, the other group. Yeah. And then eventually they can, like they can play it. Yeah. And I don't do that for every piece, but you know, it's just such a nice crutch to use sometimes. Yeah. When you have kids who can listen past themselves and they can really pay attention to that. I mean, that's a struggle with some of the kids that I teach. So I have to figure out how much I can do with the recording, but when I can, I do. Also, if you don't, if you want to know why your kids don't swing, cause they don't listen to jazz. Yeah. None of our, like, unless you have that, those kids who listen, they don't listen. So this is a way of getting them to listen in, in rehearsal. Or maybe you're not as hyper-focused on articulation because that is a game changer. Yeah. But like you could be playing, 
what if, I mean, some people are probably going to feel bad about this, but like, what if you play this chart for three months, you go to perform it and they've never listened to it. Oh yeah. Or no. you've never listened oh, to boy. it. And you go, Oh, like that. Just, you can save money on lessons. Just copy the recording. Like whatever the drummer does on this recording, have your drummer do that. Yep. I mean, if you have nothing else to do, you have a model. Yep. Just copy what that is. Yeah. Pick a drummer who will listen to other drummers. That's really important too. When you're picking your drummer and you haven't started a band yet. Because that drummer is going to need to listen. Okay. So the drummer is like your weather forecaster. <laughs> the drummer. So if you have like a forte and you want to get soft, if the drummer gets soft the measure before, then that like predicts the next thing. And the same thing with getting loud. But the more important thing for the drummer is the drummer shows the dynamics of the entire band. So if you want your band to be soft, get the drummer to play soft. Yeah. Don't get the band to play soft. And if you want the band to be kicking, get the drummer to play loud. Yeah. Because the band will naturally follow what the rhythm section is doing, especially the drummer. Yep. I think uh, as wind players, we had mentioned this too earlier today, um, and myself included, I get scared of what to do with the rhythm section in rehearsal, or I am nervous that I'm not going to have enough to offer them or that I'm not going to be listening to them enough. And one thing that I stopped doing probably, actually, I really don't know. I stopped doing it a while ago is I never stand in front of the band anymore. I stand to the side of the band, unless I need to actually be in front of them to listen to something or actually teach something where I have to be in front of them. That's rare. My room is not huge. I stand in front of the drummer in between the drummer and the piano player in between the piano, the drummer and the bass player. I stand over there because then I'm actually going to be forced to listen to what's going on over there a lot more. And as a person who does not think about the rhythm section instinctively, I have to do that now. And then when I have the band on stage, I'm never in front of them unless so if, just to, to start the tune. And then I walk away. Yeah, if you think of 20 kids in a jazz band, if you have four kids in a rhythm section, they need to get 50% of your time. Yeah. So per kid, you're giving them far more than your second trombone player. At least yep. this is like, to me, at least in younger jazz bands. Yeah. Like, cause if you, if you had a pro rhythm section, imagine that a pro drummer, pro bass player, pro guitar player, pro piano player Yeah. with your horn section. Yeah. Yeah. They'd be killing. Yeah. It's all about the rhythm section. Yeah. But it's scary. I think to people who don't, who aren't rhythm section players, people like me who have very little jazz experience, like those are the foreign land instruments. Yep. Those are the ones that I know the least about. I've never played. I didn't take a methods course on. I didn't practice YouTube myself. jazz drums. <laughs> yeah. I mean, literally there's people forever who, who tell you all this stuff, but that's so. real world. That's real life for me. And I know that it was one of my, one of my insecurities. It probably still is. I, I think I've had to work really hard to get to that side of the band and think about them. Well, what a wide ranging, ranging discussion this was. I need to go slow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we sincerely appreciate you taking your valuable time and listening to the Growing Band Director podcast. Your students are very lucky to have a band director like you. If you have any suggestions for episode topics or think you have an area of expertise to share on a show with us, please reach out. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your band director friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, our YouTube channel, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to The Growing Band Director. See you next week.